America at a tipping point, addressing China, why life is precious, and crazy Irish politics. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. We have a jam-packed show for you today, and I want to talk to you about a bit of hope that I have for your country, because certain things happened over the last seven, ten days that may just change the faith and the direction your country's on. But before we get to that, I want to take a delve into your history yet again, because if you've listened to this show for, I don't know, a month, a year, a couple of years, or maybe from day one, thank you very much if you have, you know I love your country. And there's certain reasons for that, because your country is different. Your country is built on certain principles that are time-tested and true, that mean something. And I want to take a step into history today, but I don't want to go back 200 years and talk about your founders. As as much as I would love to do that, I want to throw you a bit of a curveball today, and I want to share a story I know I've shared a couple of times, but it's absolutely key to understanding what is happening right now as we speak. And that story is a great battle from the 1960s. That battle was between the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Now, this battle is very long, it's very complex, and there's a lot of winding roads of where they started and where they finished their journeys. But I just want to sum up a couple of points of who won and why they won. I don't think you can look at history and look at your country today and go, there was any other winner rather than Dr. Reverend, Dr. Martin Luther King. I think it's a clean sweep. If Since it's postseason in baseball, hey, hey, go Yankees, baby. I've just got everyone to turn off. But it's a 4-0 sweep. We, what Martin Luther King did to Malcolm X is what the Yankees just did to the Twins. It's just boom, done, over. Thanks for coming. See you next year. It's it's just so one-sided. But why was it one-sided? Because we can look at it and go, well, Martin Luther King has a national holiday after him. Malcolm X doesn't. Yeah, okay. We can look at, you know, who's more known and some of the speeches are more well-known by Martin Luther King. Yeah, that's important. But why did he win? I fundamentally believe And one of the reasons I finish the show each and every way I do the same every week is because the last thing I want you to hear is the following. The sentiments of Defoqueville. America is great because Americans are good. You know, your country is defined by your politics so much, by whether you, you like Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump or you're a Democrat or you're a Republican. 
I don't ever focus in on that. I focus in on the American person, the American citizen, the Americans I meet each and every time I am blessed to get to your country and spend time among you. I talk about the Americans I engage with on social media. What are, what are the characteristics that the average American wants? Well, I believe Martin Luther King won because he tapped into what the average American wants. I fundamentally believe that your founders were incredibly smart men. And I've spoken about this over the last couple of weeks and over the last four years and even longer. That your founders told the world what they were for before they spoke about their grievances against the king. Even though they had many. Martin Luther King, if you read his speeches, followed in those footsteps. If you read the personal situations of both Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, their upbringing, their lives, what you will see is a man on both sides who had every reason to hate people, every reason to be pissed off at society, every reason to feel hard done by But if you read their speeches, while they both had those reasons, those excuses, that background, one spoke about revenge and one spoke about your founding principles. Malcolm X lost because when everybody else was saying about, oh, these civil rights and all these, you know, you know, we need equality for black people. Malcolm X was going, yeah, not only do we need equality, but we need to get whitey. Get Whitey, get him, get him, get him. He's held us down for so long. The white man is everything that's wrong with this culture. We need to get them. And America just went, yeah, no. I want equality, but I'm not joining up with you. You're too angry. I don't want to get anyone. I want real equality. What did Martin Luther King do? Martin Luther King spoke about it's time to cash in the checks our forefathers wrote when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. He spoke about having a dream. Having a dream about judging a man by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. Martin Luther King wasn't preaching get whitey. Because what you also need to understand about the time, and you need to battleground this with every principle that you know today, is how are you going to be perceived? And are you making it easier for your enemies to make it easier for your enemies to to hurt you or to dismiss you? You see, there was a lot of people back and forth when both of these men were alive. There was the KKK. There was racism in America. There will always be racism in America. And that's not to put down America. That's not to put down, it's only in America. It's happening everywhere. If you look at what's happening in France right now, there's a lot of racism. If you look at what's happening in Italy, there's a lot of racism. Racism is a human condition. It is not an American condition. Like slavery, it's not just, oh, America sucks because of this. It's a chapter in American history. But America is only one chapter in the history of slavery. America is only one chapter in the history of racism. This is a human condition, not an American one. But if you look at what was been preached, 
If you were somewhat on the boat and you were like, I don't know about equality. You know, all those black people, I only ever saw them as, you know, as servants. And that's just my upbringing. By the way, this is not me saying this, just to be clear for all the haters out there. But I'm trying to go back to the 1960s. If you were on the fence and you were like, I don't know. I've only ever seen a black person be a slave. I've only ever seen them, you know, do manual jobs. I, I, I've never seen a, an intellectually smart black person. I've never seen it. And then you see all this equality rising, that black men are just as equal as black men or white men, and black women are just as good as white women. And you're like, okay, let's hear your arguments. And then you hear Malcolm X, and you hear, get whitey, whitey's the problem. Are you going to join up for that? Is it easy then for the KKK to come? You see, what they want to take with you what you have. This is not about race. This is about fame. This is about fortune. They just want to take from you. They don't want equality. They want to be take from you. They want to hurt you. If you're on the fence, you might be like, I, I may not be a white supremacist. I may not agree with what you're doing, but I don't want them to get me. I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to maybe, you know, be okay with that. But what Malcolm X, that was Malcolm X, what Martin Luther King did. And the American people understood this was Malcolm, Malcolm X was saying, get whitey, be angry. Let's take what they have. Take what they have held from us all these years. Martin Luther King was walking arm in arm across a bridge in Selma. How can you argue with that? How can you argue with that? How can an, an average American see that and kind of go, I, I've only ever seen black people as slaves. Or I don't know anybody. And then you hear this black pastor who's so eloquent, who's so well-spoken, who speaks about the founding principles, who speaks about the Declaration of Independence, who is walking across arm in arm, just seeking, going, look, we're not holding you responsible. We just want the same what you have. We just want to cash the check our founding fathers wrote. And that spoke to the American people. You want to know how I know this is true, factually, not just my opinion? Martin Luther King gave a famous speech in D.C., the I Have a Dream speech. A number that is never thrown out anymore. It's never shared because it would break down all the, the, the arguments of, well, America is just this racist nation. That number is 33%. That number represents roughly, roughly the amount of white people who turned up on the mall that day to listen to Martin Luther King speak about civil rights. Now, If America doesn't respond to peace, if America doesn't respond to love, and if America doesn't respond to the being told what you're for, not what you're against, why did 33% of people turn up that day to listen to a black pastor speak about civil rights they already had? Because he encapsulated the American spirit. He encapsulated that American dream, that brighter tomorrow, that not, let's not look back to the past. Let's not be angry. Let's work together and build that future. That is in a very quick summary, or as quick as I can do, because I tend to like talking. But that is quickly why I believe Malcolm X lost and Martin Luther King won. Why did I start the show off this way? Because I am starting to see things in your culture that I believe a tipping point is just around the corner. And I'm going to prove it to you. But first I need you to understand something. I spoke about it earlier on and I finish each show the same way. The sentiments of the Tocqueville. I believe to make this tipping point really grow, 
People on both sides of the aisle need to understand those sentiments. Because right now, you have politicians and you have media on both sides of the aisle. I'm getting really sick and tired and frustrated with all my friends on the left just lambasting the right media. Including companies I work with and I'm connected with. And I'm also getting sick and tired of colleagues on the right just lambasting the left. We need to understand something. If you love America, you have to ask yourself one fundamental question. Do you believe the American people are good? Do you believe they are good or do you believe they are bad? You see, part of the problem is, and part of the reason I get frustrated with my colleagues in the media on both sides and politicians, is they have successfully built this narrative that I know for a fact is not true. This narrative that, oh my God, every right-winger is this Trump-loving Nazi. This deplorable, this person who is just the devil. And my friends on the right do the same to the left. They go, oh, you're just this big socialist loving hippie who wants free sex and free drugs and free everything and wants to abort their baby. Now, are there people on the right that are Nazis, that are white supremacists, that are, you know, part of the KKK? Okay, well, factually, I would say no, because if you understand the paradigms of left and right, right in America, even though this is not true, it's not an f- actual representation of what the left and right stands for. The right is usually freedom-loving. If you understand left versus right, it's not left versus right. It's liberty versus tyranny. Liberty-loving people do not have anything in common with Nazis. Liberty-loving people do not have anything in common with the KKK. Liberty-loving na- people, living liberty-loving right-wingers, quote-unquote, do not have anything in common with Nigel Farage, Marion Le Pen. I know these are all cool right now and you're inviting them to CPAC, but these are not liberty-loving people. If you're a liberty-loving people, you may think they're okay people, you may hate them, you may love them, but you do not have anything in common. If you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in the Declaration of Independence, we are fundamentally opposed when it comes to ideas with these people. But are there, to use the paradigms, the left-right in America, are there racists in America? Sure. I've seen racists on both sides. Are there people who who think whites are more superior? I'm absolutely sure of it. Are there some people who are, you know, Nazis on the right? Sure, maybe. Are there people on the left that are, are the most progressive, socialist, communist? Absolutely, I've met some of them. They're crazy people. Here's the thing. The average American is not like that. We need to answer and under fundamentally understand. When I talk about Americans are good, America is great because Americans are good. I'm not talking about just Republicans. I'm not just talking about just conservatives or libertarians or Democrats. We need to break down this narrative. Are there people on both sides of the aisle on extremes who are not good people? Absolutely. Again, this is not a political thing. This idea that, well, oh, the right is good or the left is good and the other are bad. No. Been good or bad is not a political decision. It is a human condition. I have met people who I have fundamentally agreed with on absolutely everything and have thought they are the most biggest scumbags going that I would not associate with in a million years. 
I have also met people on the left who I disagree with on pretty much everything. Actually, that's my usually standard go-to place. I disagree with people on everything. I just see the world different. And I'm okay with that. But I've met my friends on the left. I have Democrats who listen to this show who message me. We disagree. We disagree, especially when it comes to welfare and poverty and how to solve it. Okay, cool. They are fundamentally decent, honest people who just want a better tomorrow. They just have different solutions. We need to answer this because I think if America can get back to that point where we can honestly have an honest conversation where we can go, listen, there are bad actors on both sides. The media want to divide us. The politicians want to divide us. The media want clicks and ratings and bad news sells. And if I just point to you, the opposite to me and say, you're the problem, get them. That gives them those clicks and ratings. It feeds the, the ego of all those people on social media. But if we can take a step back and actually understand that maybe 70%, maybe it's 60%, but the average American, the good, honest American is good, is decent, is humble. I believe there is a major shift coming because I honestly believe there is something in the American DNA to look forward, to be optimistic, to look to the future. I think that everyone is tired of this outrage. This constant need for, oh my God, the world is going to end. Now, the world may end. There are serious problems this world faces. I can't, I'm, I'm not Nostradamus. I can't predict when the world is going to end. I'm also not God or Jesus. I'm not the second coming. So I'm, I don't have any inside information on when to prepare. Just as a general rule, it's always good to be ready for that decision though. It could happen at any time. Hey, I might record this show and y'all might never listen to it. That could happen. But, this idea of outrage, of fat- I think people are fatigued by it. I know when I take a break from social media, when I was having my issues during the summer, I was so delighted. I was like, I didn't have to deal with the outrage. And then when I came back and I got a briefing from a friend, I was like, okay, I need to get back onto the show. What did I miss? Give me all these stories. And he, they went through the bullet points and they went through and I was like, don't care, don't care. And then they told me stuff and I was like, wow. And there was this outrage and there was this outrage and it was different each week. You've had it in the last three weeks in your country. Look, oh my God, we got to impeach Brett Kavanaugh. Oh my God, we got to impeach Donald Trump. There's a whistleblower. Oh my God, there's a second whistleblower. All this constant fatigue and outrage. I think the American people are tired of it. But I'm not just saying this. I want to talk to you about principles. Because I've been speaking to you, especially over the last couple of weeks, about your credibility mattering. How your credibility, your credibility, been absolutely critical. Because I want to show a couple of stories to you, and I want you to ask yourself, which did the American people choose? First story, are people really going to side with Representative Talib, who thinks it's now cool to have this t-shirt, impeach the MFR? Do you think the American people are going to respond positively to that? Do you think the American people are going to go, yep, that's who I am? Now, again, if your gut reaction says yes, I want you to step back and ask yourself, is that the gut reaction you think that every, because every lefty, every person who votes differently, who doesn't like Donald Trump, is automatically the leftist and an enemy? The average American person who pays no attention to the media, are they going to go with that? Are they going to see that on social media and go, that's my girl? I don't think so. 
Are they going to get on board with all these impeachments when the truth comes out? I don't think so. And again, I'm no Trump. I got called an unusual thing this week, which really ticked me off for a few minutes. I got called a Trump enabler, which is a first one for me. I've been called a sycophant. I've been called a supporter. I've been called every different thing. I'm Because I dared say he shouldn't be impeached last week. We have to ask ourselves honest questions. Who are the American people going to be for? You cannot like Trump. You can think Trump is a jerk. But when the facts say he's innocent and he shouldn't be impeached, that's what the facts say. That doesn't make you a Trump supporter. Is that who the American people are going to support? Or are they going to support the MLK vision? The MLK vision of America, of telling the world what you're for. I saw two stories that back me up on this this week. And I don't want to get into the two stories because people have talked about them at length this week. But the first one was Ellen. Now, I don't know much about Ellen. Uh, if I've watched 10 minutes of the Ellen show during my lifetime, I'd say that's a push. I know very little about Ellen. Apart from she's gay. I got that. I got, I got that memo. Ellen is gay. Got it. Brilliant. Awesome. Congratulations. Wonderful for you. But she came out this week because the world went crazy when she was in a scene in a video with George Bush at the Cowboy Stadium in a Jerry Jones suite. Hmm. The world went crazy and she responded on her show and I saw that clip. But what made that clip even more important was because people can say loads of different things. People do interviews, people do commentary, and I'm sure Ellen does plenty of, you know, that type of comedy where she's just standing at the stage talking to her her audience. What made that clip so amazing was the reaction. If you go watch that clip, listen to the applause when she says, we can be different. We can be friends with people who don't see the world the way we do. The applause. Now, I'm just guessing here. Again, I know very little about Ellen. So you may text or tweet me and go, John, you're completely wrong. This is it. This is who Ellen is. Okay. But I don't think you have a, a load of radical conservative right wingers sitting down watching the Ellen show in that audience. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think there's a lot of people who maybe are on both sides of the aisle. Maybe Republicans, maybe a few conservatives, maybe even a few liberals. But the overwhelming applause. And bear in mind, this is George Bush. This is someone they said was a warmonger. And she sat with him. And the applause. And the second one is, and again, I, as much as I know about Alan, I know Alan's gay. I know even less about this guy, Kanye West. Gave a speech in one of his Sunday sermons. And the, the response to him was amazing. Where he spoke about my color. And I don't think with my color as a black man. If you think you have to think a certain way because you're black. Effectively you're making me a slave. And the response was amazing. It's one thing for Ellen and Kanye West to say these things. It's a completely other thing for Americans to hear that and respond with such overwhelming applause. I've said this for the last couple of weeks, and I'll probably say it for the next couple of years. I think there's a tipping point coming. And this is why your credibility matters. I've been challenging you, I challenged you last week, and I've been trying to challenge you for the last couple of weeks and months, and even longer if you're a long-term listener, to tell the world what you are for. The world is going to go through major changes and we're going to talk about them. 
But if we start telling the world what we're for and do it in humble terms, not seeking to troll people, but just start telling the world what we're for in a loving, kind, compassionate way, you win. If you want my advice as an outsider, you want to win, and that is your sole aim, read your history. Understand why Malcolm X lost and Martin Luther King won. Understand why we still talk about your founders 240 years later. If all you care about is winning, here's my advice. Tell the world what you're for. Tell Americans what you're for. Paint it in a picture of optimism and paint a brighter tomorrow and then start working hard to make it happen in kind and humble ways. Because the American people deep down are good, honest people and they will respond. If you enjoy what we do here on these free platforms for these free shows, please subscribe to our show. A new show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on every major platform that you can get out there. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Google Play Music. We're on, we're on Spotify, CastBox, OmniFM. You name it, we're there. Also, if you happen to listen on iTunes, uh, please leave us a rating and review. iTunes is, uh, depending on the week, either our biggest or our second biggest um outlet so new people find us through the algorithm through rating and reviews so your ratings and reviews even if you don't listen on itunes help us out a lot and we want to get a positive message out there i want to do my best to explain to everyone i possibly can why america is exceptional i would love to do it from your country i would love to be over there speaking to different crowds and different events each and every day i would if i could but right now that's not on the card so the only way i have to communicate with you all is through social media and here so please consider doing leaving us a rating and review and also share it with your family and your friends because there's a lot of things that need to be discussed one of those things right now is i want to talk to you about a story that's been in the news this week and everyone's focusing in on the politics of this which we will do in a couple of minutes but i want to actually talk to you and take a step back and just give you a brief history of a country and there's a lot of mixed feelings sadly about this country There's a lot of mixed feelings in political organizations, with politicians, with the media, when in reality, there should be absolutely no mixed feelings about this country. That country is China. China is one of the world's worst countries. And that's saying something when you live in 2019. When you have countries like Iran, when you have countries like Russia, when you have countries with despotic regimes like North Korea, to say China is one of the worst countries living today and easily one of the worst countries that has ever existed, that's saying something. But China is not a good actor. I want to talk to you about some things that these are not my words. These are words and facts from that radical right-wing conservative nutbag organization called the United Nations. Now, I always use the United Nations as a source for some things because, especially when I'm making the case like like for China, 
Because if the United Nations is saying this about China, what I'm about to read to you and what I'm about to discuss with you, you can be sure as hell it's a lot worse. China's on the United Nations. China has a a big say in the United Nations. But also, how should we put it this way? How should I put this nicely? The United Nations is not blessed with a history of them... Oh, how to say this? How to say this nicely where there's, when I know there's kids listening? Are mm, not blessed with the, the biggest set of uh, testis- testicular fortitude known to man. Like when I think of brave people, when I think of people who are willing to defy all the odds, I think of the American military. I know a lot of vets. They, they would go through a brick wall for you. They would do anything. You know, when I think of brave people, I, I think of some of the people who lived in the Middle East. You know, some of those Christians who saw ISIS. Like, that's, that's what I think is brave. The United Nations? Eh, eh, uh, it's like 1% bravery. It's, it's like, let me, let me give you this in, in simple terms that you might enjoy. The United Nations is as brave as our wee wee wee, our French friends, <laughs> with our white flags and our angry letters. That is how I see the United Nations. But this is what the United Nations says about China. In last October, there was a person who was also the prior head of Interpol, which is an international police organization, basically went back to China. And uh, he disappeared. Hmm, why would that happen? He was disappeared and held for a long period of time. The Communist Party, the the CCP, (laughs) I I see what you did there, the CCP. The Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party also has a long track record of, you know, being over religious people and persecuting religious people. I know I'm not supposed to say this because it shows you how a bad Christian I am, but I'm concerned about what's happening to the Uyghurs in, in China. And in case you don't know who they are, they're Muslims. And you see, I'm supposed to be at this evil, I'm supposed to have Christian privilege. I'm only supposed to worry about Christians, but here I am because I'm a bad Christian worrying about what's happening in China. Why? Because I believe in liberty. I believe in freedom. They believe in suspre- uh, suspending speech. They depress and repress people's rights. They have repressed and abuses and consistent systematic abuses against millions upon millions of Muslims. They have carried out arbitrary mass detentions where there has been torture and mistreatment and done in appalling detention facilities. They have unusual controls over your daily life. You're not allowed to have certain interactions over there. You're not allowed to have, you know the way we all have people on social media all day, we have people on Facebook and Twitter, you know the keyboard warriors who always send you these hateful tweets. Yeah, over there you're not allowed so much to do that. Especially if those, you know, quote-unquote keyboard warriors are hateful against the government. They don't um, believe in that. They have a long track record of deten- detaining, imprisoning, and enforcing enforcing disappearance. This is the history of the Chinese government. They now also have a credit score, where you're monitored constantly, but through mass surveillance. People always say to me, why do you care so much about the Fourth Amendment? Because I see what's happening in China. I see what these companies like Google are doing. This idea of mass surveillance. They have so much information on you as a Chinese citizen. 
They have biometrics, including your DNA and your voice samples. They use it to surveil you. They have a social credit system where they have over there, you have a score. And if your score is good, you get certain perks. And if you do certain things, I don't know, like, oh, I don't know. Let's just use an American example. If, let's say, you were living the Chinese system in America and you got on Twitter and said, oh, I don't know. Because no one would ever say this, but let me give you something outrageous. I don't know. Trump is a Nazi. Well, then the government would, you know, peg down your score. And then if you said something else, you know, I don't like the way the government spends its money. Oh, your score goes down a bit more. Hey, we should impeach Donald Trump. Your score goes down a bit more. Why? Because you're being critical of the government. And that hurts your credit score. And then guess what happens if your score gets down to bad levels? Well, then you can't get on certain transport. You can't get on certain aspects of public transport. Eventually, this will lead to, I believe pure starvation where if your score gets down so low you just won't be able to buy food but you have that score where you can control everyone companies like google are working with china to suppress any type of speech that goes against the chinese government that is the history of china but i could go on and i will for another few seconds china has a history of mass murder China has a history of mass rape. China has a history of mass sterilization and forced abortions. I wonder if our friends on the left who love abortions are so excited about abortion when it's forced by the government. Hmm. I wonder what they would say about that. This is not a good country. And sadly, the hope for this country is rather small. Because when you have a credit system, when you have American companies working with the Chinese government, when you have a system of government that does not have accountability to the people, it does not have a role of government to protect your rights, it is the government's job to give you rights and define your rights and tell you what you can say. It also tells you where you can say it and how you can say it and who you can say it with. They don't have protections of the First Amendment that Americans have. You know all those people who love going around, ah, Donald Trump, he's a racist, he's a Nazi. Yeah, you don't have those protections in China. There's no Chinese person running around going, yeah, President Xi, he a Nazi. Even though that that representation, while factually inaccurate, I would say he's more in line with Mao and Stalin. But you could use Hitler. Even though... That is a more accurate representation than what Donald Trump is. This is a guy who literally is one of the worst people in human history. He's not quite Mount Rushmore level yet. But what he has done to Chinese citizens is incredible. I could go on and on and on and bore you with the details. But I'm just trying to make the case that China is not a good actor. The reason I'm doing this is because I've watched this week... And over the last couple of weeks of what is happening in your nation. And I see it on all sides of the aisle where people don't seem to be sure about China. So I want to talk to you about what's going on in your country. And I'm going to address a private organization. And I'm going to address a politician from the right and the left and ask you some questions. And I'm going to start with the unpopular one with this audience. 
I'm going to start with the president. A couple of weeks ago, your president tweeted out congratulations to President Z on all his years of rule. Because it was an anniversary. It was the 70th anniversary, I believe. I have just given you a snippet of what the Chinese government has been responsible for. What exactly are you congratulating him for? The fact he doesn't have elections. The fact he can suppress suspend speech. Now, I understand maybe Donald Trump might like that because there's so much outrageous speech there out there about Donald Trump. I'm, I'm guessing if you're Donald Trump, it might be kind of hard to really appreciate free speech when you're seeing what's said about you. But that, that's the thing about free speech. I may not like what you say, but I'll defend the right to the debt, your right to say it. That's Voltaire. What part of communist China is to be lauded? Mr. President, if I may be so bold, name one good thing about China. Always. Now, here's the thing that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I want to be crystal clear about what I believe. And if I was, you know, if the world was, this would show how much the world was in trouble. But the world is in a state of chaos, so maybe this happens. If Donald Trump got my digits and said, hey, I Irish John, uh, Donald Trump here, what would you do if, if you were me? Or what advice would you give me on China? My advice would be go watch some of Ronald Reagan's speeches, sir. We can be all for the Chinese people. Chinese people are some of the nicest people I've ever met. There's Chinese people down the local Chinese takeaway from me. They're lovely. They're awesome. They're really kind. They've integrated into Irish society. They cook mean Chinese food, which, as if you've ever seen me, is kind of important. You know, look at me. I like my food. But they've integrated. They're, they're Irish. They're really nice people. We can have a conversation about liberty and tyranny. Ronald Reagan was great in many ways because he understood. He highlighted the Soviet people, their sense of humor. He told stories about them. But he always called Soviet Russia the government, the evil empire. Mr. President, if you came and asked for my advice, that would be my advice to you. I get that you like congratulating people and you like trying to have all these relationships and it's the way you wheel and deal. Got it. I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I wouldn't do it. But stop congratulating a communist hellhole and your enemy on 70 years worth of rule. It's not a good look. Now I want to move on to a politician from the left. But we'll actually talk about her in a second. We'll go to MBA first. You've heard the controversy this week about how one of the general managers, the general manager of the Rockets, had the audacity, the audacity to retweet something about stand with Hong Kong and stand for democracy. And this guy has been pillared from pillar to post because how dare you say such a thing? How dare you say you should stand with Hong Kong and stand for democracy? Okay. What part of China do you like? Is it always about the almighty dollar? Or is honor sacred? Is doing the right thing sacred? 
I've I've seen the the retweets and all these new press releases. Here's the general thing: when you're in business or when you're in politics or when you're in the media, if you have to re-release a press release saying this is what we meant the first time, you're doing it wrong. But you want to have all these strategic ties. You don't want to insult the Chinese people. My advice to you would be similar. You don't have to insult the Chinese people, but you sure as hell can speak out about their government. But what really annoys me is all these hypocrites. All these people who love getting a bit of love from the the, the progressives. A bit of love from the social justice warriors. You see, I'm I'm getting older and I'm getting less patient in my life, which I'm sure some of you can relate to. But I, I see so much baloney, and including with some of my colleagues in the media. They, 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 when it's easy, when it's a softball, we're all over it. When the NBA, with people like LeBron James, when it's all about, you know, when you got to go out there and call Donald Trump Hitler, it's easy. Oh, I don't like Donald Trump. Oh, well. Oh, Donald Trump's a racist. Oh, well. That's easy. And then everyone goes around and goes, Oh, LeBron, you're so wonderful. Oh, LeBron, you're so brave for standing up to Mr. President Trump, who's a real bad person. Oh, my God. You're my hero. You're my icon, LeBron. Here you actually have a government where you dare say anything bad about it. Oh, no, you can't say a damn thing. Oh, no, I'm going to say quiet on this one. Oh, no, people won't love me for that. Oh, no, that will affect my bottom dollar. That will affect my bank account. Let me give you this in pure numbers. Let's say they are right about Donald Trump. Let's say Donald Trump is Hitler. Well, guess what? The history of the Chinese government is ten times worse than Hitler. And I'm using that in pure mathematical figures. We say never again is now about six million Jews, and rightfully so. We should say that, and we should mean every word of it. But what about the 60 million people dead in China? What about the millions that are abused and raped and tortured on a daily basis? What about that? Nothing. That doesn't get a viral tweet. That doesn't even get a fancy hashtag campaign. Listen, I don't care how, I believe in the free market. I don't care what the NBA does. But I believe right now we're at a turning point and it's absolutely critical to understand what we are for. Are we okay with China? Is there anything good about China? Is there one redeeming quality about the Chinese Communist Party and their rule over their country? Is there? Because I'd love to know the one thing they've done right. And now for the last person I want to address. Elizabeth Warren out there criticizing. Oh no, I don't know whether we should be so friendly to China. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't be kowtowing to China. Well, good for you, Elizabeth Warren. But here's the thing. What's so bad about China? What do they do that is so wrong? You're out there openly promoting socialism. You know what debate America and the world needs to have? What is the fundamental difference between socialism and communism? I get communism. There is a fundamental difference. A lot of dead people. I got it. Okay, great. You don't want to kill people. Okay, good. That's a good place to start of the difference between Elizabeth Warren and, and, you know, the Chinese government. Okay, cool. But what else? 
Do you believe in free speech? When people were criticizing Barack Obama, when people were questioning Barack Obama, when people are going, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Oh, you're racist. How is that any different? Could we criticize Barack Obama? Could we highlight his inaccuracies? Or were we told, no, sit down, shut up, you're racist. Or it's our turn now. When I look at the surveillance, how is America any different? You violated the Fourth Amendment. So much so. By both sides of the aisle. Primarily led by Republicans, by the way. Why is China so bad and so different from the vision you would have America if you ever got power, if you ever became president? What is so different? I would love to know the answer to that question. We have to make it clear to the world. We must make it clear to the world what we're going to stand for. Because if not you, who? If not now, when? These are words that just will not leave my mind. It is always a good time to to promote freedom. It's always a good time to promote freedom. There is never a bad time for anyone, I believe, to start talking about freedom. To start talking about liberty. But what will you stand for now? These companies like Google and Facebook who are in bed with the Chinese government, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond as a private individual? Are you going to try and get government involved? How are you going to respond to the NBA? I don't have the answers to these, by the way. I don't have a magic ball. I'm not going to be like some of the other people going, hey, this is why you need to do boycott the NBA. No, I'm not like that. You have your choice. But we need to make a message. And send a message very loud and very clear. I believe America is at its best when you are the Statue of Liberty. When you are holding that light of liberty high, tall, for everyone to see far and wide. And you're holding your principles firm. If you hold those principles firm and you understand the history of China and the history of America, you understand they are polar opposites. And I know which side wins. I know which side is better. And I know which side can achieve so much more. It's the American people. It's the American dream. It's the idea of America. Not the idea of China. Where you have a China 2020 and China 2025. That will not work. Because the people operate out of fear. You have another Soviet Union on your hands. I believe my advice would be to anyone listening. Let's not insult the Chinese people. Let's understand their blight, their suffering. But let's highlight the badness of their government, the dirt, the rotten, the darkness in their government, and shine a light of liberty and freedom for the world to see.
this show has given you something to think about today. But if you agree with me or disagree with me, get in touch on social media. I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple, Facebook Jonathan Don Fifty Eight. You know, send me a friend request, send me a follow, send me a message. I respond as quickly as I possibly can, and I love engaging with you guys. I want to talk to you about the rights of people, but specifically the right to life. And I don't want to have this discussion with you in a certain way that I don't know the answers to this. I think, and I have for the longest time, but what's happened in the last week has given me that sense of optimism. I think things are changing. Things have been upside down around this world for a long time. And I believe we're in a state of chaos. But eventually that chaos will subside. And if you believe in liberty and or freedom, because there is a difference between freedom and liberty, I'm a freedom guy. I believe it is our duty and our responsibility to make the argument in the best possible way. Because... When the chaos starts to subside, people will start looking around, looking for stability. And they will either find it historically in the form of some type of government, in some type of religion. But if we do our job, if you guys listening with me and me and others in our movement actually make things about freedom, I believe we can find that stability in the principles of nature's law and nature's God. One of the first rights your founders spoke about in the Declaration of Independence was the right to life. If you guys are a long-term listener, you know I'm a very, very pro-life. I'm pro-life because I believe, fundamentally, every life is precious. I believe this more so now than ever before after what I went through this summer and what I've gone through for the longest time. Life is precious. No matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things seem, no matter how many bills you have, no matter how many times you have bad days at work or bad days at life, things can get better. It doesn't mean they will, but it means they can. There is that hope. When we kill people or when we abort people or when we commit suicide, that hope is no longer because there is no tomorrow. I want to share a couple of stories with you to make you think, but also to hopefully that one of you people out there listening has the answer because I don't know the answer of how we, we change the dynamics of this debate. There's a story that's been happening over here in Europe, and it's causing a bit of a media storm in some ways. It's not a it's not a massive written storm. It's not like Brexit bad or Donald Trump impeachment bad, but it's been discussed in some places. And the frustrating thing for me is the glaring the easy word to use would be hypocrisy, but I don't know if people are fully aware of everything. I think people like things just in little boxes and don't join the dots. 
I think to be a hypocrite, you kind of have to be aware of things and you actually have to be self-thinking and a bit critical. And this story is a story from Kragistan. And without boring you with the long details and breaking your heart, there was a girl who was pregnant. And sadly, she delivered a baby boy who was stillborn. Now, anyone who is out there who has had this experience knows it's not a fun experience. It's really, really heartbreaking. It defines you in some ways. And it's a scar that never truly leaves you, especially for the mother. You know, the idea of carrying a baby for ever how long, five, six, seven, eight, nine months, bonding with it, having it part of your everyday life. And then to deliver it and it was stillborn is, I can't, I can't imagine the pain that must be in. I can't imagine what this woman must feel. But the reason this story has caught sort of the media's attention is not because some poor lady was pregnant and had a stillborn baby. No, sadly, what makes this a story is what happened afterwards. Because this stillborn, precious, beautiful baby boy all of a sudden started to move. And how did the doctors respond? If you would think a normal person, this, there's a theory out there about charity work. And that theory, it's a really dark theory, but the theory is there is no such thing as a good, selfless, good deed. Because deep down, we all want the the thanks, the adulation, the glory. Oh, I helped you. You know, I'm not doing it because I'm helping you get out of poverty or helping you because you fell or helping you because you're bad on bad times. I'm doing it to help me, to make me feel better about myself. I don't buy into it. There is some merit to this theory, but it's a real dark thing. Now, if you've been there and you've had a stillborn baby boy, what more gratifying position must there be after telling the mother, I'm really sorry, your baby didn't make it. One more good feel good could you imagine to say, I got to go back into that woman all of a sudden and run in with your baby boy's alive. It's moving. I know we stillborn, but it did happen. But now it's starting to move. Isn't this amazing? This is what we're going to do to save it. How gratifying must that conversation be? Sadly, with this case, we'll never know. Because what the doctors did is they didn't go in and tell the mother that the baby who was stillborn is now moving. Instead, they put it in a morgue fridge and froze that baby to death. The reason is because they had all registered him as dead. I guess unregistering a dead person and going through that was just too much damn work. This story has been discussed because of, oh my God, the trust between doctor and patient. Oh my God, you know, how could you go to the hospital again? Oh my God, the inhumanity. 
How could people be so sick? I absolutely 100% agree. But how can we have people who will say and feel those things about this story? And yet, about the next story, be the exact opposite. This story was read out in Capitol Hill a couple of weeks ago. In Florida, there was a lady who delivered a live baby girl at 23 weeks in an abortion clinic. And the clinic owner took the baby who was gasping for breath, cut her umbilical cords, threw her in a biohazard bag, and proceeded to put the bag in the trash. How can we have such disconnect? How can we... What words can we use? How can we share these stories with our friends who are pro-abortion? To try and change it. How can we break down this narrative that if you're someone like me who is against abortion, not because of some religious reason, not because of some other reason. Yes, my religious beliefs play into it, but my thinking is goes so much deeper than that. The idea that, you know what, no matter who you are, you have a life, you have a purpose, you have a mission, you can change the world. How is that a hateful message? How is that an anti-woman message? How can we reach out to people? How can we reach out and start turning the argument towards life being precious again? How can we have these conversations in a calm and rational way without getting emotional, without wanting to cry and just go crazy? How can we do it? Because I want to share one more story with you. And this one, while it's not as bad emotion, uh, you know, in the ending, this is highly troubling. And I feel sorry for this kid because he survived. There is a court case going on in the United Kingdom right now. And a ruling has been passed. What are the, what are the details of the case? Well, there's a young lady who fell pregnant. And her son is now four years old. And she brought a case against the NHS. Because her son was born with Down syndrome. Her son was born with Down syndrome and she didn't know. And she said if she had known when she went into the NHS for her pregnancy test, if she had been found out, she, her son, who's now four, who she cares for, who she claims to love, she would have aborted him. Apparently, there's a test that you do when you're pregnant for Down syndrome. And she claimed in this case, she wasn't given this option. The sad thing is, this woman won £200,000 which give or take is about $300,000 from the NHS. 
And this is a regular, semi-regular occurrence for the NHS. They give out millions upon millions of pounds each year in these types of cases. Here's what really troubles me, because she gave interviews and did interviews. And also in the court transcripts. And I quote, She would not, the reason she would have had the abortion, if she knew her son had Down syndrome, was because I quote, She would not have wanted her child to suffer the way disabled people suffer. How can we have these conversations? I wish I could sit behind this microphone and go, hey, I have all the answers. I, you use this argument, use this argument, use this argument. I, I don't know. What I feel sorry for is this kid, if he ever gets to a stage where he becomes, you know, explores his past, he'll see reports, he'll see news reports, he'll find court transcripts of his mother saying, if I had the choice, I would have killed you when I was pregnant with you. You would have never seen the light of day, but I did it because I didn't want you to suffer. We need to start having conversations about this because this is something I can't talk about. I don't know the answer for abortion, but I know the answer for suffering. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what your income level is, what your class status is, what your education level is, who you sleep with, what age you are, what your sexuality is, what your identify is, what your gender is. I don't care. You can name all the things. Who you voted for. We all suffer in some shape or form. We all have a cross to carry. Some of us have emotional crosses. Some of us have physical crosses. But this idea that it's somehow more compassionate to say, we just want you to stop suffering so we'll never give you life. I don't know, maybe this is hitting me harder, this story, when I read it. I really... My heart broke because after Evan and I went through and going through to this day, and it's a battle I've faced my whole life, I will always suffer in some shape or form from mental illness, quote unquote. But this idea that, well, it's more compassionate for you just to die. I know this and I can say this because I've shared so much with you. There are days I just want to curl up in a ball and give up. There are a lot of days like that. In fact, in some ways, there are more days than like that than other days. But here's the thing. There's always that hope that tomorrow brings a new light. Tomorrow brings a new dawn. How do we make these cases to people? We need to touch people's hearts. We can be all about facts and figures all we want, but we also need to show the human side. I believe we can have a tipping point on this issue and so many more. If we don't just go, oh, that scores you, you just want to abort babies, you're a murderer. I get the rhetoric. I get the anger. I I get the justification of why you're upset. I do. But is that going to solve anything? 
Or is that just a Malcolm X position? What's the Malcolm X position? And more importantly, what is the Martin Luther King position? How do we encapsulate what we are for and highlight the differences and share it in a loving, passionate way? We can change this. If you're passionate about this issue or whatever issue you're passionate about, we can change it. But we need to start looking inwards and looking at these arguments. Because these are just three stories from the last two or three weeks. And what are we creating? Can you imagine being this baby boy at 12 or 13 or 14 or maybe even 30 or 40? And then all of a sudden reading your... If your mother could have, she would have murdered you and aborted you in the womb. How could you have that relationship with her? How could you not look at her with somewhat of resentful eyes or maybe even kind of going, Jeez... Was I a burden all those years? How can you really love someone like that? These are problems we're all going to have to face. And we must face them head on. finish up today's show by just talking to you about two very quick subjects just bringing this all full circle the first one is a personal one if you know me you know i'm a very very i'm huge on the second amendment i'm a big supporter of the second amendment and i've been speaking out you know i spoke a couple of weeks ago about red flag laws been a really 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 bad idea and some people have given me feedback and I've interacted with some of you and some of you sent me this article from David French about because he's from the National Review even though he's moving now. And look, I read a lot of David French articles and there's a lot of points that he makes. I don't want to make this about David French or National Review or anyone else. I want to make this about the Second Amendment and red flag laws. I don't see you as the enemy if you're okay with red flag laws. I just fundamentally disagree with you. I, I'm not some super smart linguist, but when our words are written, I believe they're written for a certain reason. And shall not be infringed is pretty clear to me. That's just my opinion, not yours. You may see things differently. But I want to specify one thing that I think conservatives and people who are pro-Second Amendment need to be very well aware of. The left, and when I say the left, I don't mean Democrats, I mean the left, progressives, want to take your guns, like Beto, I just want to take AR-15s. Guess what? If he got his way and he got every AR-15 out of it, out of America, if he got you all, if he, let's put this, let me give you this most outrageous thing I can think of. If all of a sudden he had this daze over America, let's say he was Scarecrow in Batman in Gotham. And he could get you to do whatever he wanted. And he had you totally paralyzed of fear. And he said, I want you to get your AR-15 if you have one. And I want you to cut that baby in half. That AR will... I want you to shout out with me. That AR-15 will not kill anyone else, baby. Let's say he got you to do that. Do you think Beto and people like him are going to be happy? No, the AR will just change to some other gun. Their agenda is to get rid of every gun. They'll just progress towards that. They won't come out going, yeah, we just want to... No one ever should hold a gun, ever. 
There is no reason for We want Irish rules. We want everyone in, like Ireland not to have a gun. Because Ireland is awesome, baby. They won't come out and say that. They'll go, well, we just want AR-15s. And then something else will happen and another start, few shootings will happen because there are a-holes out there everywhere who think, hey, it's going to be fun. Let's go shoot up a school or let's go shoot up a mall. There's always going to be a-holes. And yes, they are a-holes who want to do this. And you know I don't use bad language, but this is apt. Then they'll go, let's ban that gun. Let's ban this gun. Let's ban that gun. Let's ban high-capacity magazines. Let's ban this. Let's ban this. And they will progress until they get every gun out of the system. They will use any motive, any meaning, any words, any excuse to make this happen. One of the things that has frustrated me, and I didn't speak out about this for the longest time because I didn't share my personal history with you until the summer. But one of this idea, well, you know, all those people with mental illnesses, all those people who are mentally unstable, all, they shouldn't have a gun. Are you telling me someone who's not mentally well, can't? Ha- you should have a gun? Well, shall not be infringed. It's pretty clear. It doesn't say all, all, you know, people have a right to protect themselves and right to bear arms. It doesn't say all mentally stable people have a right to bear arms. It says all people. But the reason this frustrates me and it scares me is because this idea that someone could look at me and go, oh, wow, well, John, John, John's on the public record. John, John, John's on the public record. He admitted to having those thoughts. John shouldn't own a gun. Why not? Why should I not own a gun if I was in America? What has ever, and I've been very open about my past, what is it about me that makes me so unstable not to have a gun? What is it? This fallacy that, oh, well, if he had a gun, he might just do it, you know, he mightn't just think about doing what he spoke about. He actually might do it. Yeah, I'm going to do that anyway. I thought about how exactly I was going to do it. I knew the day, I knew the time, and I knew how. And guess what? It didn't involve a gun because I live in Ireland. So what makes me so unstable to go, yeah, you can't have a gun. You can't have one. The reason this has always frustrated me is because I see who are the first people who are going to be punished by this. And it's the first people who don't don't deserve any punishment. They deserve a lot more respect than they get. And those people are your military. If you pass any bill that says, you know what, if you've got any type of mental health illness, you cannot have a gun. That's going to disproportionately affect the military. All these people... All these brave men and women who go overseas who have PTSD of some kind. You telling me they can't have a gun? They served their country? They went over to some hellhole that you sent them to? They served with honor and distinction? They did jobs no one would ever dream of doing? And then they're going to come back to their country and then they're going to be told, yeah, thanks for your service, but you can't have a gun. Especially in this culture where it is not exactly cool to be military. You know, it isn't exactly cool. It's not like, hey, thank you for your service. It is in some places and you get a salute. There are other places who you get spit upon and go, screw you. You're the problem. And you're telling those people, yeah, if anything happens to you, if people see you're in military or ex-military and they decide to target you, guess what? You're a sitting duck, pal. Yeah, thank you for your service. Look, I love America. I love you so much it hurts at times. But you have had this history, consistent history from day one, of treating your troops with disrespect. 
That has to stop. You have to make right with your troops. And this idea that if you're mentally ill or mentally not well, you can't have a gun, be very careful what you wish for. Because that's for the military. But where do you think that's going to stop? Where do you think, oh, well, if you're mentally unstable, you can't own a gun? Where do you think that's going to progress to? We spoke about China earlier on in the show. Is there even the smallest possibility that some, oh, I don't know, I'm not going to name any names, some crackpot progressive becomes president and goes, you know what? I think you're mentally unwell. You're clearly not right if you think this government is not perfect. If you clearly don't like me as president, and guess what? You can't have a gun. Do you even think that's a possibility? Because if you do, be very careful what you wish for when it comes to, hey, taking other people's rights away to defend themselves. I know I seem pretty angry right now, but I'm very passionate about this issue. We have to decide. I've been saying this for a while, and I've said it several times in this show. We're hitting a turning point. Now is the time to understand what we're for. And if you're against me or you disagree with me, that's cool. I don't see you as an enemy. We just disagree. And that's the great thing about individuals. This is not China. We're actually allowed to have differing opinions. I respect this. I'm not trying to work on, hey, well, if you don't see the way uh, the things the way I do, you're clearly a loser. No, you see things different. Cool. But I am trying to offer a warning sign that be careful because that will be another infringement on the Second Amendment. And then what happens? It may not affect you or it may not protect any, affect anyone that you know. But guess what? The next infringement might. And then what are you going to do? Well, it was okay then for them. But what about me? This is how freedom gets eroded. Bit by bit. Oh, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm mentally stable. I don't know anybody with mental illness. So yeah, let them do it. I want a discussion about the Second Amendment. I'd love a discussion about red flag laws. I make it clear where I'll stand on those issues, but I will discuss it with anyone anytime. But if you do insist on this red flag law, and you're really determined that this is what America needs, this is what is best for America, I will disagree, but here's the advice I will offer you. Do not make the mistake of making red flag laws guilty until proven innocent. Where this idea of, well, we're just going to take your guns, but you have to, you can apply to get them back. You can have them after 30 days. That fundamentally goes against your principles of innocent until proven guilty. If you want red flag laws and you think we should be open to some red flag laws, okay. But make it where your guns are not confiscated. You make the case. You go through the legal system. And you go before a judge. And you present your argument of, hey, this is why this person shouldn't have a gun. They're dangerous. And then they get to present a defense. And when they present a defense, then they can respond. And then the judge or the jury can make their decision. The second thing I want to finish up on is a small thing. It's a story from Ireland. Because this week we had our budget. That's something America doesn't do. You know this budget where politicians actually come together and decide how much they're going to tax us and how much they're going to spend on benefits each year for the, for the upcoming 12 months. It's a really great day. It's a really fascinating day as someone who lives in Ireland because every country apart from America seems to do budgets of some shape or description. America just goes, continues on spending. 
But it's this fascinating day, and I've always become, as I've got older, amazed by these days, because we all just sit around as people. We all just sit around, and we all go to our favorite Irish news website and go, I wonder what the government does today that will affect me. Will they raise taxes? Will they lower taxes? Will they raise taxes on different items? Will they lower taxes? Will they give more benefits? We we just sit around with bated breath going, please, sir, can I have some more? Or please, sir, don't take my money from me. I need it. And we all just accept it like innocent plebs. It's just become part of our culture. But here's why principles are so important. And here's why consistency is so important. For the last 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, God knows how long, every politician in Ireland has been running around fear-mongering. Because that's all politicians ever seem to do. You very rarely find a politician who talks about an optimistic tomorrow. But they fear-monger. And the fear-mongering subject of the last 12, 18, 24 months has been Brexit. Oh my God, there's going to be a hard Brexit. And Ireland's economy is going to crash. And And you've heard this time and time and time again. To show you how bad it is, I'm sure most of you are pretty tired and worn out of the Donald Trump impeachment talk. That's how we've been about times a thousand. Because it hasn't stopped constantly it's the same story it's there's not a news report in ireland that happens without some mention of brexit the fear-mongering has been unbelievable you've had politicians you've had prime ministers you had everyone going if a hard brexit happens or a no deal brexit happens it'll be a disaster for the irish economy it will hurt the irish economy it will do this to the irish economy everyone running around going oh my god And then we've had all this, well, we need to, you know, the argument for this budget was, well, look, we're really close to October 31st and a no-deal Brexit or a hard Brexit is going to hurt the Irish economy. What we're going to do is we can't give more tax cuts. We can't give more benefits. What we're going to do is we're going to have this rainy day fund for a Brexit. But we're also going to have more money for businesses. You know, we're going to give businesses more money to, you know, do things. To explore new trade opportunities. That's the whole argument. They're so afraid of uh, the economy tanking. Gets the budget day. And what do the Irish politicians do because they are oh so smart and oh so consistent? They're all worried about jobs. They're all worried about the economy. They're all worried about Brexit. And then they proceed to pass a budget that includes, at this time, 2019, an increase on the carbon tax for fuel. Now, Americans are very blessed. And there are certain things you have in your country. You guys have certain problems that you all freak out about. And the rest of the world looks at you and kind of go, oh, hush. Hush now. You don't know pain. One of those pains that you have that you go crazy about, that you have no freaking idea of real pain, is oil prices. I love Americans when things go bad in American. Oh, my God. It's $4 a gallon. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Bite me. I would pay for $4 a gallon gas. I would die for $5 a gallon gas. Gas prices in Ireland and England, obviously the, the exchange rate fluctuates, but give or take about 8 bucks a gallon. So naturally, when you're worried about the economy, when you're worried about Brexit, what do you do with $8 a gallon? Oh, of course, because the climate, the climate's going to change. We're all going to die. We have climate catastrophe. We have all these restinction rebellions and all these people squatting in the streets. 
Yes, we have that in Ireland. I passed it today. I felt so sorry for that business street that has business and people living on it. It's literally closed off with a stage and people like with tents sitting on it because the climate's going to die. We need climate disruption. But we're so worried about the economy. Naturally, we're going to put up a tax, the carbon tax on fuel. Now, it's not the biggest increase. It'll probably be about 20 cents, 20 US cents a litre. But I, let me put this into context for you. It always starts off small. Oh, well, look, it's only, you know, it's only 20 cents a gallon. 20 cents a gallon is nothing. It's just a tax. I work for a company that, give or take, probably has a 100 vans on the road. Give or take. It probably has slightly more. But let's say a 100. You fast multiply that 20 cents a gallon by every gallon each van uses by 100 vans, by 52 weeks a year, that is a big amount of money. This is why consistency matters. Because we all know the Irish politicians are full of baloney. You know, I always say this about climate change people. You know, if you want to stop climate change, especially as a politician, just stop talking because the amount of hot air that doesn't come from your mouth will be a a big reduction in CO2. But all these Irish politicians, oh, we're so worried about the economy and Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. And then they put up this fuel tax. It's crazy. It will hurt the Irish economy. It will hurt the Irish economy all over a lie to appease global warming alarmists who are literally like, hey, the world is going to die in 12 years and we can't cope. Despite the scientists who actually wrote that report coming out and saying, yeah, we didn't say that. Oh, we're going to all die in 12 years. <laughs> now, I don't mean to mock. I don't like mocking people. I don't like trolling people. But we need to find a way to have these discussions. We need to have a conversation about, hey, can the government put up tax? And if they do, how can we fight it? And make the argument, hey, can we deal with climate change? Can we deal with fact and logic and reason again? Where the people who wrote the report you're quoting came out and said, yeah, that ain't going to happen. But also, if there is such thing as a climate change, can we talk about solutions? But not government-centric solutions. Solutions based around the individual. Or should we all listen to this 16-year-old, oh, well, let's go around in this green yacht. This green yacht, this carbon-neutral yacht. Yeah, because everyone has a carbon-neutral 60-foot racing yacht at their disposable like that, don't they? We need to have these discussions. But we need to make them, make the case for freedom, for liberty in the best possible way. Yes, with passion but also in a loving way. Maybe that's not my thing. Maybe my job is the passion side. Y'all can do the loving side, yeah? But we need to have these conversations. These are just two stories that affected me that I wanted to share with you because some of you have said, hey, we want to hear more about Ireland. Well, guess what? That's what happened in Ireland this week. It's pretty much what happens in DC every week. The politicians screwed the people. The politicians spoke about the economy, been on a bit of a knife edge. And then proceeded to pass a law that basically will kill us. So, basically what happens in D.C. each and every day, right? I hope today's show has given you something to think about. Hopefully I've given you a a few laughs. If I haven't, wee, 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 I'm a French man, I give up. (laughs) There, I made you laugh. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, y'all have a beautiful and blessed week. And we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And never ever forget why I love you. I love you for your founding principles. I love you for your constitution. I love you.
because of the sentiments of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. Not Republicans, not Democrats, not conservatives, not progressives, not libertarians. Americans are good, honest, decent people. And if we can start talking about that again and acting like that again, we will see a tipping point in a positive direction. Until next Saturday, you all have a great week and God bless each and every one of you. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 